Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. And we are back with ATDC Radio Broadcasting on the Business Radio X network. We've got a studio full. Of course, this is a studio is a little smaller than some of them that we work from, but uh, I just absolutely love broadcasting live down here at ATDC. The energy, the IQ points, uh, everything is just so much fun down here, isn't it, man? Yeah, you never know who you're going to meet. I know. Old it. friends, new friends. This is going to be a blast. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast for our first segment in this episode. We have with us, with the SBIR with ATDC, Miss Connie Castile. How are you? Hi. Nice to be here. Well, we are delighted to have you. Uh, SBIR, what does it mean? It's a lot of letters, right? Right. <laughs> Tell us about Alphabet it. Soup. Alphabet <laughs> soup. Uh, SBIR stands for Small Business Innovation Research, and it is a federal program that helps uh, companies, small companies, get funding to overcome technical barriers. Um, and it's a, it's different than um, or normal grants because there is a, an element that it has to have a high commercial potential. So it's excellent for startup companies needing uh, seed capital funding. So it helps uh, them come over, overcome a technical barrier. Um, it comes in the form of grants and contracts and it's federal money and companies can get up to $1.5 million that they don't have to pay back. Now, how does um, it work with the ATDC? Is this uh, uh, associated with the ATDC, a subset of ATDC, or is it a separate program that just you you know works with ATDC? Right. So SBIR is federal program, mm-hmm. but my role here at ATDC is the SBIR catalyst is to help companies um, with SBIR. So I manage um, helping companies with non-dilutive funding, meaning funding that's not going to take away part of their equity. Mm-hmm. And um, so my that's my primary role is here uh, to assist with SBIR because it's a complex uh, process and program. To apply for? Correct. To apply for, to understand. There are 11 federal agencies that have their own SBIR programs, and they're all unique. And then, uh, so you need kind of a Sherpa. This is hard for an individual just to kind of go online to the .gov and then just navigate and fill out the appropriate (laughs) forms. Exactly. Exactly. So then what made you so good at this? Well, I started here at Georgia Tech helping companies uh, license out NASA developed technology, and that's called spinning out a technology. So something that NASA developed that maybe the the po- general population might be able to utilize. And while we were helping them to spin out technologies, they asked us to help them spin technologies in, which meant how can what's out there in the world benefit NASA? Mm-hmm. So they utilized a program called SBIR. So that's how I began doing this. And then over time, I started learning about the other federal um, agencies and their programs. And then it's all called SBIR in their departments as well? Right. So the, each um, agency that has over $100 million in their external research and development budgets are required to set money aside for this program. So they all, um, so there are of the 11 agencies, they range from just barely having that over a hundred million dollars to having, um, 
quite a bit, um, billions of dollars in their external program. Now, is this one of those programs that um, people just aren't aware of and there's a lot of opportunity and money to be had if you kind of know your way around? Uh, it is. And that's part of my job is kind of make awareness um, to help people understand that it is out there and then help them through the process depending on which agency it um, that they are looking at or sometimes they don't even know which agency would be appropriate for their technology. Now, have you gotten to the point where you're able to see at kind of a glance like, oh, this will be a good fit or this won't be a good fit? Right. So I can, um, through the time that I've worked with companies, I, can, I can't I can guarantee, but I can see some elements of what would make a good uh, proposal, what wouldn't. Um, and that's part of my responsibilities is to kind of help uh, coach companies to make sure that they're, A, going after the, the most appropriate um, agency for their particular technology, and B, um, to make sure that it's even something that they could utilize as a company. So now what's the biggest challenge for you? Is finding the appropriate companies or navigating the maze of a government bureaucracy? Well, um, I would say that the, <laughs> the navigating the, the government bureaucracy definitely <laughs> is complex. Um, but m- one of my roles is I sometimes I don't completely understand a company's technology and what they're working on. Um, so there might be some other um, potential funding for them if I knew a little bit more about their company. So sometimes companies come to me and they'll tell me a small bit of what they're working on. And if I knew the broader um, understanding of what they were doing, then I might be able to point them in other directions. So then how do you make yourself aware of all that's going on here? Because there's hundreds of companies. Well, I try to get get around <laughs> to know the companies. And I start working with the companies usually when they're at the educate level here at ATDC. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they grow, um, I'm knowing them more and more. And sometimes they pivot. They change direction of their company. Um, I work a lot with the other Catalyst here. And they let me know of a potential company. And I just have a like an informational um conversation with that company to understand what they're doing. And then uh, for you, have you had any big successes where people were able to get kind of a big number in terms of funding? Right. Um, Well, I've worked with several companies um, in since I've been since 2013, I've helped companies here get um, about $60 million um, in this non-dilutive funding. Wow. And um, So that's game-changing amount of money where that can really propel them to exa- the next level. Exactly. Uh, one of our ATDC graduate companies was Pintrop Securities. Mm-hmm. Um, they started with... Um, with SBIR funding, and that helped them to attract investors. And then they grew from there. And now they are, um, they've, I think they recently have like 250 employees that they started with a one person. Wow. And then we have Shavik Roy. I know. Quality. So, so introduce us to who you brought. So I have Shavik Roy here, um, Chartery, and who is of Mo Quality, who also uh, received National Science Foundation NSF SBIR funding. Mm hmm. Welcome. Thanks for the intro. So now tell us about what uh, Mo Quality is up to. How are you serving folks? Yeah. Um, so before that, I'll just give a brief intro about myself. Um, you know, I got, uh, got my PhD from Georgia Tech. This was actually started from my PhD research at Tech. And uh, essentially, 
when I was at tech, uh, you know, we were building cool developer tools to help developers create better software applications. And that's what, you know, created more quality because at more quality, what we do is we build AI powered mobile app testing solutions. So, uh, so that developers who are building these mobile apps can uh, better test their software and go to market with confidence. And then it tests it on multiple devices. How does it test it? That's right. So, so think about it, right? Uh, you know, as a consumer, you can pick any app, uh, you know, uh, mobile device that you can buy in the store. There are, pro- there are more than four forty thousand devices, you know, more different models that are available globally. Right. Right. But developers, they probably have one device in their hand that they're developing against, but they need to check their apps against all of these devices. And right? the ones some people have old phones, right? So exactly. Gotta- exactly. So. Uh, you know, they don't want to procure these devices, but they, today there are several companies on the internet that rent you devices by the minute, including Amazon Device Farm, you know, Google Firebase Test Lab. But in order to use these devices, somebody needs to write a code, you know, test scripts, which have to be extensive. And what we have seen is that people don't have the patience for that. They would, you know, uh, quickly test it on the uh, you know phones that friends and families have. Right, that they have in the office. Right. They have in the <laughs> office. All larger companies will have, hire an army of testers to do all the testing manually. Right, Nobody wants to take their developers away from coding the app to write right. test cases. So that's where we have developed an AI solution that takes that app, crawls through it, across on different devices we call it robo testing and uh, you know it helps them find find bugs faster and uh, you know launch their apps with confidence so then um what was the uh, reason that you said you know what let's play out this sbir instead of just doing it a more conventional way so to be honest uh, you know i was a phd student with an idea right and a prototype right and uh you know, we we actually went through Georgia Tech's Tiger program, which pairs uh, PhDs with uh, MBA students and law school students. But uh, after we finished the program, we actually won the Georgia Tech startup competition. So there was a lot of hype. We right. had clear direction that, you know, this would be successful. But I had zero money to pay these you know guys, right? And <laughs> right. all of these guys had high school, you know, like uh, college debt, right? So they took up jobs and I was, again, you know, alone. You were by this. So, but how did you even kind of, become aware of SBIR as even a funding option. Yeah, so uh, while as a student, I was connected with Venture Lab at Georgia Tech, which is, uh, you know, ADDC is the public-facing side, um, you know, that helps startups. Venture Lab helps uh, Georgia Tech startups. So they connected me with ADDC, and that's how I met Connie and learned about the SBIR program. So you weren't familiar with it prior to that? I was familiar with government grants, but all right. of that money comes to Georgia Tech, and that's mainly for doing academic research, right? right. Now we had uh, we were funded by NSF before. My PhD advisor had has tons of grants, right? But that is federal funding, you know, meant to actually uh, you know work on developing you know uh, prototypes and writing academic papers. You can't use that for commercializing tech, uh, you know, uh, coming out of university. Which and SBI was a perfect bridge for us to take that technology from Georgia Tech, license it, and build. A company to actually develop it further and take it to market. So then, once you met Connie, what what happened then? So once I met Connie, there was your uh, life changed. <laughs> <laughs> the heavens parted and the doves flew up. To be honest, uh, the first time I went to her, she was like, "Hey, this is just an idea. We need to write a proposal." And that took you know some time for me to understand what would sell. Because at the end of the day, NSF wasn't going to fund any research project. They were going to fund a business idea, right? So they had. So we had gone through the you know uh, business plan competition. So we had like some bits and pieces. Uh, but you know, th- uh, putting it down in a proposal and right, you know, throwing together a budget, you know, there are a lot of things that the NSF cares for, and uh, you know, uh, that I didn't know, right? I had not written a grant, uh, you know, I had helped my advisor, right? You know, 
parts of a grant, but I had never, uh, you know, solely written the entire grant before. So there was this Connie, you know, who, who had all of this experience and examples from previous startups that had got funded, you know, guiding me. Uh, so with her guidance, with some of my friends at Georgia Tech who had gotten SBIR before, you know, I was successfully able to put this grant together and get it funded. So now what was the process of putting just filling out the application. Is that something you just knock out in an afternoon or no. like <laughs> 15 minutes? So luckily uh, we had a research paper um, which actually provided the technical pieces of the grant. Uh, but the grant essentially is, uh, you know, not just the idea, but also how will it have a broader impact on society? How will it help consumers? How will it create more jobs? Uh, you know, how will, you know, this take forward? And, you know, uh, so, so that was all the different pieces that I had to figure out and you know, uh, and you know, without the help from ATDC and Connie, I probably would have had a shitty proposal, and <laughs> I don't know if I would have got it funded. So now, it's, so you think if you were on your own and you stumbled across this on the internet, SBIR, oh, this sounds good. You think that you couldn't have done it on your own without help? There is a there is a huge you know friction because you don't know if trying to do it the first time if you have you know help and guidance from folks who have done it before who have seen several proposals you actually uh, you know get a lot of more confidence right now the NSF program managers are also available to take calls uh, you know but way before right and I didn't know that right Connie told me that so you know all of these resources are available. And, you know, Connie didn't charge me anything, right? Like most other places, if you go and ask for help, you'll get like a huge bill, right? Right. Above it, writing services and all. But I think So this- you would, if it was, if there was no Connie or this program wasn't uh, part of the ATDC and you stumbled upon it, you would have just self-selected out. You wouldn't have pursued it because it would have been too hard or you didn't want to waste the time or the energy to do all of the work. But yeah. Because... Connie came uh, into your life and helped you and said, this is possible. You might want to do this. Here's some examples that gave you the confidence to pursue this and to really, you know, invest time. Cause this wasn't, you know, a 15 exactly. minute thing. And, this and was, it took a lot of time and energy. Yeah, to, and to, it's to, not a short, you know, term thing. Right. You submit a proposal, wait six months to get six a response. Months, right. <laughs> and startups are hard and, you know, right. everything can change in those six months. But you wouldn't even attempt that if you didn't feel confidence exactly. that you were going to, to succeed at the end of the day, you wouldn't have just taken a flyer and said, Oh, yeah. let me do this and hope in six months is going to work out. Right. She had to give you confidence that, Hey, there's a good chance exactly. that this is going to work out. And in the meantime, I was, you know, like teaching at Georgia Tech. I, I took a side job. I was bootstrapping this, right? Right. So this actually gave me a jump start and actually helped me hire more people so that I could scale operations, build a product and actually go to market. So from the time you applied, when did you get an indication that, Hey, this is going to work out? So we, uh, you know, applied in December, I believe. And then in summer, uh, which is, you know, June end, we got an indication that, hey, your proposal is selected, uh, you know, give us some more information. And uh, I think in August, that's when I, you know, left everything and jumped. So at, at what point do they, are they cutting you a check? So NSF is, uh, you know, they, you have to register on their website and then, you know, that whole process is there, but uh, it's very short, right? They tell you end of July that, hey, start from, uh, sorry, end of June that start from July, right? So it's very instant. So once you're in, then... The funds are released pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Funds are released pretty quickly. And uh, it depends on... Tell me what that was like when when the fund transfer occurred. 
<laughs> that was high five all around, right? <laughs> so for me, uh, I, you know, I had never dealt with so much money before, right? You know, I was a grad student paying like, <laughs> many, like really small money, so I felt like a really big sense of responsibility. What they mm. do is they, allow, you know, they hold it in their account, and then you can transfer it to your bank account. So there was I, I was like, no, I don't want to get all of this money. I'll take it <laughs> in, you know, in pieces. pieces. Right. Uh, and then, um, but but with that, you know. I think it gave us this, you know, huge sense of resource, right? That we could use. Now, of course, you can't use it for non R and D stuff, right? So you can only use it for uh, research and development. Uh, but it helped me get the initial engineers, uh, and I went back to Georgia Tech to hire some of the, you know, PhD right? The same there. students that probably helped you early on, yeah, right? And, and one of them actually decided to drop their PhDs and join. You wow! Know? So, so then anyway, you feel a sense of responsibility for that too, well, right? Exactly. Right. But but it's also just not the the money itself. It's what came with the money because then you were able to attract investors from mm. exactly. Also, uh, they just don't give you money and leave you. Right? They actually have a workshop. So I had to fly to DC to attend a two two day workshop where they tell you about customer discovery. You know, some of these things I'd already learned at ATDC. Right. Uh, but still, it is at a national level. It's sponsored by the government, right? So it's it, there is a lot of responsibility with that money. Right. So now uh, when you get the money, now you get more resources, and then now you're building the dream, right? Now right. it's coming to fruition. What stage are you at right now? So uh, since then, we went through an, uh, an accelerator, Techstars. Uh, you know, we used that to scale our company, you know, grow even further. Last year, we raised a, a seed round of $2.5 million. And now we are actually in the ATDC signature company. So right, so are, you started ATDC, kind of briefly went away, went then away. came back. Came back. Yeah. So you feel very strongly that ATDC has been instrumental, right? This Definitely. This wouldn't have occurred without their help. Yeah, for sure, right? Uh, so ADDC has these three different levels, right? Educate, accelerate, and signature. Mm-hmm. So I think they are really good, uh, you know, and nicely aligned with, you know, a company's life cycle because at the start, everybody has an idea, right? right. They need the education. Then we became accelerate when we got SBIR and we got our first customer, right? And then when we went out, got, uh, you know, VC dollars and, you know, we showed that, hey, we have runway, we have a big team, then we came back in as a signature company. And then was there any kind of doubt that you would come back at that point? Because you, you had more choices at that point. Uh, no, for us, this was always home. We started at Georgia Tech. This, mm-hmm. is, uh, this is a place we called home because most of our talent that we get is from across the bridge. Right, Students right. wanting to intern with us or working part-time. We also have active collaborations uh, with Georgia Tech. So we couldn't think of any other place than this. And then, uh, so what do you need more of right now? How can we help? You know, if you know any app developer who's trying to go to market, you know, we have a very fairly inexpensive and, you know, almost free solution that they can use to make sure that their apps are well tested. So if you know any app developer that's uh, planning to launch their app, uh, send them to more quality, we'll help them out, make sure that they get their initial early adopters and uh, that the early adopters have a good experience with their app. And then uh, what's the website? It's moquality, M-O-quality.com. Connie, you must be so proud, right? These are oh, the stories definitely. that are, are why you do this, right? This oh. is this is why you get up in the morning. Definitely. And and Shavik is 
one example of companies that have benefited. And it, as I was saying a few minutes ago, that it, it not only is the money that helps them have cash in their pocket to complete the research, but it gives them more confidence. Um, it, it, it helps them be introduced to um, investors and um, it helps overcome those, what we could say, de-risk technology. Right. So it is more attractive to investors. Because it's been vetted by the government. Exactly. So it's almost there. It's so almost it just there. It's exactly. kind of like that next level push. Right. So um, now th- this is what you do full time is just help the folks navigate SBIR? That is correct. There's a sister program called STTR, but it runs almost exactly like mm-hmm. SBIR. So I help companies with that. And then um, other non-dilutive funding. If, if there's um, some, maybe it's a direct contract, maybe um, something that's not going to take away the equity. Maybe it's some help with a foundation grant. Uh, but my primary role is with the SBIR. And you can tell pretty quickly just if you learn more about kind of what they're up to if these kind of programs are a fit and they should pursue this kind of grant. Exactly. Exactly. I sit, I ask them some key questions to understand where they are now, where they hope to be, their timeline, um, and things that they have to overcome. And so it's a lot of, uh, back and forth questioning, um, and then educating them on, uh, different aspects of their company. Because as Shavik was saying, sometimes I have people that come with ideas, but they haven't thought through what's right. the commercial potential of this. And, and that's needed in order exactly. to get the grant. So now if somebody wanted to kind of connect with you, what's the best way to find you? Sure. Um, they can, I have a, what is SBIR that is once a month. Um, it I was on Mondays and now we're switching it to Tuesdays. Um, but it's a one hour high level overview. Um, that they can go to the atdc.org website and look at the calendar and sign up for the next one. And I think the next one is August. Oh, I don't have the date in front of me, but. Um, but that's all on the website. Exactly. And they can find you or SBIR if they search for your name or SBIR on right, the website. Right, exactly. So I'd like people to come to this overview session first. <laughs> it's just a one hour. And then when we have, we can sit down and have a, an appointment one-on-one. And that way they, um, they can then share with me what they're working on. So we're not spending the whole time talking about what is SBIR. Right. And then. It, that's required kind of in order to, for you to really give them good information. You need good information, right? Exactly, exactly. And then we can uh, discuss all the possibilities. And sometimes it might not be right for them right now, but it might be in the future. So I've had companies that have met at first and then they've come back um, later on the road and they say, now I'm ready to pursue this. Well, congratulations on the success and the momentum. And, and like Lee said, you must just uh, be beaming with pride. Is it, I mean, I can tell that you find this incredibly rewarding work, don't you? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I love to see companies that that I can track from when they start as a PhD student, for example, and go all the way to being a successful company. Well, And we love to hear and share these stories. So let's make a point of, of capturing some of these stories as we go along. Let's, let's do this again periodically, yeah? Sure. Anytime. All right. Hey, stay with us. We're going to visit with one more guest. Thanks. All right. There's some debate, Lee, about how to pronounce this gentleman's last name because our producer um, didn't ask him before we went on air. So we're going to let him pronounce his own last name. But please join me in welcoming to the broadcast now IoT and Manufacturing Startup Catalyst, 
Kenji, how are you, sir? Hello, I'm Kenji Takeuchi. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. So you're Kenji. <laughs> Kenji's fine. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. Did you learn anything in that last segment? Oh yes, I, I learned about a great company. <laughs> and I already knew how uh, how great Connie was doing, so that was uh, reaffirming. So how's your SBIR grant coming along? Oh boy. <laughs> I know somebody, if you, if you haven't made any progress, I got somebody for you. Okay, you know someone. So tell us about your work here at the ATDC. Well, I'm um, a uh, catalyst focusing on IoT and manufacturing. So Internet of Things, that's a buzzword we're hearing a lot about. Can you kind of educate our listeners about um, what specifically that is? Sure. The um, Internet of Things is... A, is when you have a physical device, sensors, and other type of uh, products that are connected to the Internet through cloud services and connectivity. Um, but we're seeing these sensors and devices put all around uh, our environments, you know, connected cities, connected cars, connected homes, businesses, workers, people, health. And so this uh, connectivity of devices to the Internet is creating new business models, is gathering new data, it's making uh, all types of opportunities for the consumer and for businesses. So now it seems like to a lay person that they're just putting the internet on all kinds of things that I'm not understanding why they're connected. Like, like why is my refrigerator, why is that a good thing? My refrigerator is connected to the internet. Well, that's uh, that is one of the uh, examples of maybe more, some people would think it's trivial, but maybe some don't think right, it's Right, maybe trivial, I'm not right? aware of the benefits of that. But that particular solution, maybe some people you know, would find that important. But I think it's more the concept of making uh, you know, devices smarter and connected. And um, you know, what's interesting about it is, is that once you get this connectivity, you, you can gather data and, um, and share that data or you know, cross-correlate that data with other sets of data that may give you new insights and new discoveries and new businesses and, and ways to help people. So I think one of the, the driving forces of it, other than the convenience of the information for the consumer is, you know, what are we going to learn tomorrow from all these different data sets that who knew that, that they mattered and, and meant something together and can do important things together. Now, how does the internet of things kind of balance the uh, people's privacy Oh yes, I think that that's uh, probably one of the hotter questions mm -hmm. with uh, with uh, Internet of Things is privacy and security. Right, because you're capturing a lot of data, and if it's anonymous data, it probably I I don't care. But if you start knowing stuff about me, and then somebody can use that against me at some point, then I do care. So, like, how does that balance kind of occur right now? Well, I think the um, the you know, base philosophy is that it should all be anonymous and mm -hmm. it should be used for the, the good of, of, uh, of the consumer and, and add value to them. But you are right that, you know, in, in instances you may agree to allow your information to be used by the service that you're using. And, and in those cases, you, you know, some may feel that, that that's, uh, you know, intruding on something that they want to be private. So I think, you know, people could be more careful about what they agree to or, um, or the industry is going to just change and, and make everybody feel, you know, well, not everybody, but most people feel more more comfortable. But it, it's challenging. I don't think that there's a, a, a simple solution that's going to be able to be described easily. Now, is it is the genie out of the bottle? Is this are we at the point where 
privacy is just something that, yeah, back in the day, that was something we should care about. <laughs> well, I think that, um, you know, again, I'm not an expert on exact demographics, but, you know, my feel is, is that the, those that are maybe um, younger or, or growing up today will be used to certain things being public and, and, and they see the value of those things being public, like their social media experiences. So I think that um, in a way it is out of the bottle, but I think society will get used to s- certain things being public. And then certain things that are uh, public or non-private now um, and that nobody likes will, will you know, that'll Do you change. think it'll just yeah. kind of um, kind of regulate itself? I, I think it'll regulate itself. I think through policy and through just consumer behavior and, and um, other driving forces. So then how did you kind of find yourself here at the ATDC? What was your background? Well, I had a startup company um, a while back and, um, you know, really did enjoy being an entrepreneur and, and had the, uh, the, you know, the, the interest in, in, um, in, in the startup community. And then I got acquired, my company got acquired and stayed in the Fortune 500 world for quite a while. And once I had a opportunity to kind of re-engage into the local startup community, I um, came immediately back to ATDC, who, where I was very familiar with and, and um, looked to get involved. And I was lucky enough to have a role here as a catalyst. So then you, what's your day-to-day role as a catalyst? So are companies coming up to you and say, hey, I have this idea. Uh, can you help me with that? Or you, like, what, what do you do as a yeah, catalyst? Yeah, I think um, – you know, as we mentioned before, there are multiple uh, stages of companies. We have our educate very early stage and accelerate that are more in the middle and then our signatures that are more mature. And so, yes, I think at all levels, um, I have uh, companies that, that, that I actively, you know, try to engage with and learn what they're doing and, and vice versa. They come to me and um, at those different levels, they have different questions, but essentially um, they are, um, you know, have physical devices they want to know how to leverage the Internet of Things for their products and their their roadmaps. And they also may have questions about how do they manufacture those products and scale them and prototype them. So there's those uh, type of manufacturing type of, of uh, support that I'm, I'm happy to give. And then do you find yourself um, making connections, helping them kind of take their their idea or even their prototype to the appropriate people to help them get to the next level. Is that part of your role as well? Yeah, definitely. We have um, partners at ATDC that are uh, manufacturing uh, partners. Um, We have legal partners that help patent, you know, um, Mm -hmm. physical products. We have uh, partners that are electronic distributors that have different components and, and can suggest the right parts for, uh, for prototyping and the right components for mass production. So, and I'm, uh, always trying to connect those dots and and be a connector for the companies that I'm helping. Now, are you seeing, um, they're talking about 5G coming online shortly. Is that going to take this to a new level when that happens? Uh, definitely. I think 5G what, is... What is stuff about 5G that maybe we're not understanding yet or what possibilities are going to occur when that kind of comes online? Well, I think, um, you know, my, you know, uh, simplistic view of 5g mm-hmm. because i'm not a particular 5g expert is that the the incredible bandwidth that and um ubiquity of the signal uh you know mobile based uh, data access is going to allow for devices um internet of thing devices to connect very easily to the network but these high bandwidths is what may be the game changer 
with the high bandwidth available, um, you know, video is, is a very common, um, you know, sensor, if you call it that, that, that is being utilized for, for internet of things and, and business models. And so business and other type of streaming data become very possible and very economic through 5G networks. And so you're bullish about the whole industry, the whole, this whole channel of internet of things you're, you think there's going to be, it's going to be more and more. That, we yes, haven't hit yes. peak I, I, internet of things. Well, that's funny. Um, <laughs> just uh, recently I, I was wondering where internet of things was on the Gartner uh, hype cycle. Mm-hmm. If, if people are familiar with that, that term and, um, and it's it probably just past the peak. And so I do think that um, the hype is definitely at the peak. It seems to be according to gardeners uh, uh, that it may be coming, you know, a little more realistic in the, in the industry about what it can and can't do. But, but I am definitely, you know, positive and sure in myself that, uh, that the, you know, internet of things will drive, um, you know, a lot of future business, a lot of future opportunity and, and very interesting solutions and, you know, products for, for consumers and businesses. So now where does kind of self-driving cars and things like that fit into this? Well, it's, uh, you know, definitely a category, uh, within the connected, you know, uh, devices and, and, and internet of things. And so that's, you know, one of many categories that's taking advantage of this, this connectivity of physical to, to the cloud and, and then all the data and analytics behind it. Do you think it's going to be one of those things where it's um, kind of gradually, then suddenly, where like we're talking about this, and then all of a sudden they're going to be everywhere? I think so. I think it's it's already sneaking up on you, and in, um, in the sense that you're um, you know getting used to uh, the the connectivity around you. Like you know, I think maybe a couple years ago, two three years ago, people were like, "There's no way I'm going to have an Alexa in my house." It's you know, I don't want it listening to me. And then now it's like you can't live without it for many people that have had it for, for a while. And so that's, again, where the privacy, you know, uh, discussion comes back. I think people are getting used to the idea and see the, the ultimate benefit of, of it in their lifestyle and um, versus the downsides of, of uh, these occasional privacy issues. Now, are you finding that the university is doing a good job in preparing students to get involved in Internet of Things? Um. Or do you think that's a gap in terms of education because it's so new and it's so fast moving? It's hard for the university to really serve that. That's that's well, that's a great question. I think from a science point of view, the universities, you know, Georgia Tech certainly do a great job of electronic engineering and uh, mechanical and manufacturing engineering and software and artificial intelligence, all the parts that are important for Internet of Things. But I couldn't say with certainty that. You know that that they or the university systems or education systems are doing great with how do they all work together? Um, because Internet of Things is you know for me very interesting because of all those multidisciplinary you know needs from the manufacturing, electronics, you know, software, and so uh, that integration of all those technologies I think is still relatively a unique skill, and which I think is. Uh, partially why, um, you know, what I do at ATDC was uh, sought after enough to let me do it. <laughs> so, right. And, and that's what I like to do is, is marry all those technologies. And be the bridge for people who maybe aren't thinking about using their product in this way or connecting them with different technologies that maybe they're not thinking about. That's right. It, um, the, the, if, if a company is traditionally a, 
software company. Um, they're just now starting to think about, you know, how would sensors and devices help my business and, and customer experience? Or if you're a physical product that's not connected, how, how do you know, can I help my business and customers if I connect it and, and start gathering data and, and providing more insight and opportunities for my customers. So I think there's a lot of traditional companies that are going in both directions of, of, of connecting or getting physical uh, components to their products. So now what's the kind of most innovative use of it that you've seen so far? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I think that in every kind of marketplace, there's so many, you know, cool solutions. I mean, the, in the retail space, the, you know, using, um, sensors and, and uh, uh, cameras and other type of vehicles to be able to automatically check out people from the stores, you know, like what, what um, we're seeing some Whole Foods and Amazon's doing. And, and you know, the automobile space, right, the, the autonomous vehicles are, you know, just fascinating. So I think every industry, um, you know, smart cities are doing so many great things. Um, so I think every industry is, is really making uh, great advances there. And what do you need more of? Are you looking for more students, more ATDC companies to to um, just kind of reach out to you to see if there's a fit, or maybe there's ways that they're not thinking yeah, to kind I mean, of broaden their their mind in terms of what possibilities are out there? Yeah, I think I'm um, definitely always want to meet more companies that are interested in you know the you know manufacturing physical devices and connecting it to the internet for the internet of things. So I'm always wanting more companies to engage with. I think that's, it's fun. And I think it's great for the, you know, this ATDC and the city and everything. Um, and, and so I'm, you know, the more the merrier. And if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's, uh, the coordinates for you? I'm also on the, uh, ATDC, uh, website, uh, under the team members and, and my contact information is there and, um, or, uh, they'll, see me around here and tap me on the shoulder. Now, do you do workshops like Connie was talking about and, and classes, things like that? Yes. Um, we had a class last month uh, focusing on uh, IP security and, and um, uh, privacy, as well as how to create your minimum viable products, prototyping to large scale manufacturing and, and talked about that. And in the fall yet to be announced the exact time, we will have a, um, extended workshop into each of those topics uh, on a multi-day uh, workshop for for those topics. Good stuff. Well, Kenji, keep up the good work, and thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio.